Well, you certainly don't need me to tell you if you live in Minnesota that last week was most definitely cold, huh? Uh, even my car seemed to be complaining about the weather when I tried to start it uh, every single morning. And so I, I thought I would maybe just bring a little bit of warmth into your life by sharing a, a quick story of something that happened to me last summer, because Minnesota, too, can be warm and sunny and... Um, there is a summer here in this state as well. So last summer, it was a beautiful summer day. I'm just trying to get that warmth out. There was a beautiful summer day, and we decided that we're going to spend the afternoon um, down at the, the beach at Lake Marion and planning to bring maybe some snacks and some drinks along with us and so forth. So I went up into the attic to grab the cooler for the first time that summer. And as I was going to grab it, I noticed that it was entirely covered with dust. It had been over a year since uh, I had stored it up there. And so what do you do when your cooler is covered with dust? Well, you ignore it. No, you, you clean it. So I brought it down, <clears throat> got out the hose, a sponge, a bucket of soapy water, and as I began to address the outside of the cooler, in that process, of course, I opened up the cooler and found that what was going on in the inside was worse than what was going on on the outside. I think here's, I think here's what happened. Uh, when we stored it the year before, somehow I didn't get all of some food remnants out of there, and when I opened the cooler, of course, my nose smelled something that certainly wasn't, um, well, classified as good, all right? And it's interesting that when I went up into the attic, the first thing I noticed was the outside of the cooler. I thought that the outside was the problem. But what I came to really find out is that there was something much worse going on on the inside. And the truth is, if <clears throat> I had a choice of using a cooler that was gross inside or a little dusty on the outside, I, I would pick the little dusty on the outside but clean and good on the inside to store my food. And what's true of coolers in a weird kind of way is true of people too. You see, here's the thing that I know about us, that we naturally focus on the outside. That's what we concentrate on the most, naturally. And at the beginning of a new year, there's a lot of outside-type goals, whether that be goals for your weight or for fitness or finances or career or where you're going to go or what are you going to do this year. And yet, why this series is so important, and Pastor Matt got us off to a good start last week, is that a more important change is made on the inside. That when there is, let's say, a new attitude on the inside, a new perspective, that in our lives, even the outside circumstances may not change a whole lot, but when there is new on the inside, there's this trickle-down effect that permeates and affects your entire life. 
And here's, here's the cool thing. The cool thing is that if you're a Christian, if, if you follow Jesus, if you trust in him as your Lord and Savior, there's already new going on in your life. In fact, I, I love this verse um, that Paul writes in 2 Corinthians. He writes this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that is, that they're a Christian, that they understand that he is their Lord and their Savior. If anyone is in Christ, he is, he already, she already is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And this new creation, he's not talking about six-pack abs and a full head of hair, although I know I wish that were the case. He's talking about new on the inside. And maybe the best way to summarize that is the main point and idea from last week, that when we come to faith in Christ, he gives us a new heart. What that means is you have a new hope, a new perspective, new purpose, new strength, new life. So why do we need a series like this if we've already been made new? (laughs) Well, you know as well as I do that this doesn't mean that everything is always going to be perfect on the inside. As long as we live in this world, sin will try to undo what God did. Sin will try to undo the new. And so it's important for us to, to talk about what does this new life and this this new heart look like? And so starting today, what we're going to be doing is looking at four different emotions or feelings that all of us at one time or another feel, but that if we're allowed to let it sit, it will contaminate, not your cooler. If we allow it to sit, it will contaminate our hearts and our lives. So today, what we're going to be unpacking and looking at is this feeling or emotion. It's the feeling of guilt. (laughs) As I got into the study for this week, one of the things that I found and discovered is that this is a topic that has lots of layers to it, and there's way more that I could share that that I don't have time to get to in one message. But with that said, at, at the very root or the heart of guilt, guilt basically is a, a, an uncomfortable feeling that you have when you know that you've done something wrong. Um, what, maybe it's that you've wronged someone in your life. Maybe it's that you've wronged God. Sometimes it's just that even that you've wronged yourself. You've hurt yourself in one way or another. And the feeling, maybe you can relate to this, that comes along with guilt often is like this big weight that you kind of carry and that it just kind of sits in your heart or maybe even feels like it sits on your shoulders and it just, it just weighs you down. And to go a little bit deeper with this, the reason why it feels like a weight is because 
when you harm someone or when you hurt someone or you hurt God, that what's actually happening is that there's a debt that has been created. In fact, you know, even some of our regular English language kind of bears this out. You know, if, if you've hurt someone, you might say, I owe you, like there's a debt there, or I need to make that up to you. And so in summary, I think this hopefully is helpful for you in sort of navigating what's going on in what you're feeling with guilt. Number one on our fill-ins for today is that guilt feels like a weight because it creates a debt. That's what's going on oftentimes. And here's why it's hard to break free from that guilt or from that weight. You feel the weight, but there's really no way to truly pay off the debt or make up for the debt. Like, maybe it's, it's a father who thinks back to when his children were at home and recognizes in retrospect, um, I spent way too much time focusing on my career or other things rather than being present with the kids. And the question becomes, if you feel that, or it could be a mom too, what can you do about it? You can't go back and redo those years. And so there's this, this weight that you feel. Or, or how do you redo your college years? <laughs> how do you go back and undo what happened maybe in your first marriage? How do you take those words back once they're out? You, you can't. How do you, how do you fix what happened that time when you got behind the wheel when you shouldn't have? Or when you clicked on that website that you know was not going to be good. You can't get in your DeLorean and go 88 miles per hour <laughs> and go back to the future, can you? And that's why guilt can be hard. That's why people have a struggle with getting rid of it. And so, naturally speaking, there, there's a couple different ways that people tend to handle their guilt. One of them is this, that they just will decide to deny the past. And that can look maybe a couple different ways. Um, one way people deny the past is by just sort of totally putting it out of their mind and heart. They're not going to address it. They're just going to pretend like it didn't happen. And that only can go so long because you know as well as I do that it'll pop up again. Another way that people deny the past is they just deny their culpability. Maybe you know someone like this. Maybe you are this person. It's, it's the person that finds um, the fault in everyone else and everyone else is the problem and yet have a very hard time owning their part of the problem. And so that's how some people handle guilt. They just deny it exists or deny the past. The other thing that sometimes happens is that people allow guilt to stay, and then what happens is that they become defined by the past. That it, 
this weight becomes something that consumes them. And a lot of times, a lot of times it comes out in other emotions. Did you know that a lot of times people who are angry, we're going to talk more about anger next week, but a lot of times people who are angry tend to have unresolved guilt from the past. And instead of dealing it and the frustration of not being able to resolve it, they just sort of focus (laughs) on everyone else and get angry with people around them. On the flip side, another feeling that often comes when you become defined by your past is this feeling of despair. A lot of times people who deal with guilt um, don't feel worthy of good things in their life. They don't feel like they're worthy of happiness. They don't feel like they're worthy of anything good. Now, here's why this is good that we're talking about. This because the truth of the matter is that you do not need to spend your life denying the past. You don't need to spend the rest of your life being defined by your past. God wants you to be new in the new year. He wants you to live in the newness that he began in you when you came to faith. In to address the guilt in maybe what for you might be in a brand new way. In order for us to see what the truth is, we're going to look into the life of um, one of Jesus' disciples who himself had to navigate a great deal of guilt. Um, His name is Peter. Um, Peter was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. He was one of Jesus' closest three friends, Peter, James, and John, of the 12 disciples. And the context or the backstory for the section we're going to look at is that Jesus, some of you might know this, on the night before he died, gathered the 12 disciples um, in a room in Jerusalem. And a lot of things went on that night in that upper room. Um, They celebrated the Passover, and then Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. Uh, Jesus talked about what has come to be known as the the greatest commandments, that we are to love God and to love other people. But another thing that went on that evening is that Jesus began to once again talk about the things that were going to be happening at that point, over the next 24 hours, and that he was going to be leaving them. In the midst of that, Peter and Jesus had a conversation, a back and forth that's recorded for us by John, who was there that night as well. Here's that conversation. So Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? The disciples are still confused about what's exactly going to happen. And I think part of that is that they just didn't want to believe what Jesus was saying, that he was going to be taken from them, that he was going to die. So Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, where I'm going, you can't follow now, but you will follow later. He's talking about death, of course. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And for those of you who know Peter, you, you know that he's an emotional guy. Some of you 
probably are similar to Peter, where you, you talk first and think later and always talking extremes. This was, this was Peter. And basically what he's saying is, no matter what happens, no matter what would come up, I'm always there for you. I will always follow you. Nothing's going to take me away from you, Jesus. You can count on it. And Jesus replies, will you really lay down your life for me, Peter? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And then many of you know what happened next. Jesus is eventually arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, He's brought to trial. Peter and the disciples, what did they do in the garden when Jesus was arrested? Well, they first fell asleep and then they fled, right? They, They fled the scene because they were scared. Peter ends up coming back later. And from how the gospel writers write, we know that he was close enough that he was able to, to see Jesus. And then someone came up and asked Peter, don't you know Jesus? Aren't you one of his followers? And in that moment where there's a whole lot of emotions going on and Peter filled with some sort of fear, what did he say? He said, not only doesn't he know Jesus, not only doesn't he follow Jesus, he doesn't even know him. And then two more times, Peter is asked, aren't you one of his followers? Aren't you one of his friends? And both of those times, Peter, just like the first says, no, I don't, I don't know him at all, even using curse words to sort of make his point more emphatic. And you know what Luke records? As he writes about this incident in Jesus' life and in Peter's life, he records that at that third denial when the the rooster crowed, that Jesus was an eye shot of Peter and that Peter and Jesus' eyes met. And in that moment, it says, Peter remembered the promise he made and the truth that Jesus shared about the denial that was going to come. Can you imagine as Jesus is in chains being led off to his, eventually to his execution, as Jesus looks at him and he's denied, can you imagine how Peter's feeling? Disappointed? Uncomfortable? You know what he felt? A whole lot of guilt. And and then so much went on over the next 24, 48 hours. So Jesus is then eventually crucified, executed, and Peter and the disciples are definitely feeling horror. Then on Saturday, they're all up in a room with the doors locked because they're filled with fear that they might be next. And then Sunday morning, some people go to the tomb and you know what they find. They find nothing except some grave clothes and an angel. And 
They're probably feeling confused. Then the afternoon of Easter Sunday, they're feeling joy (laughs) as they see that Jesus is alive and they are able to touch his hands and, and embrace him and talk with him. And while all of these emotions are going on, do you know what is still likely there for Peter? Guilt. He's still wrestling with that weight, that weight of guilt. Maybe you've been there. Lots of different emotions, lots of different things going on in your life, from horror to confusion to even joy, but all along, still there, like a weight that you're carrying around, guilt can be hard to get rid of. Now, I want to give you some good news, and then we're going to talk about it. So our second fill-in for today is this. I want you to know with all of your heart, we're going to talk about this, your biggest sins are not too big for Jesus. He's not afraid of them. He's not going to forsake you because of them. While he doesn't love your sin, he doesn't love you less because of them. Your biggest sins are not too big for Jesus. You see, here's what happened a few days later. Peter and the disciples are now not near Jerusalem in the south. They're up around the area of the Sea of Galilee. Peter and Jesus still haven't had an opportunity to talk. And and you would think in this situation that Peter should be the one to pursue a conversation with Jesus to make amends. But it was actually the other way around. That Jesus, in his grace and in his love, he pursued Peter, still carrying the weight of guilt, to make amends and to clear things up with him. And so they're, they're along um, the Sea of Galilee on the beach. They've just eaten uh, a breakfast together along with the 12 disciples. And here's what happens. When they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And commentators go back and forth on what is meant by more than these. What are the these? Is it the, the, the food and the, the good things that Jesus can bring to, you, to your life? Do you love me more than the things I can give you, physically speaking? But most commentators, and I, I would agree with them, think Jesus is referencing something else. That in the upper room, Peter kind of put himself out there as having a superior type of love and commitment to Jesus than the rest of the disciples around him. And that Jesus is hearkening back to that bold statement and saying, Simon, do you, do you love me more than these other people? Like you said you did in the upper room. Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And what I want you to to notice in this reply, and it becomes even clearer when you read it in the original Greek, but is that the braggadocious, like, um, 
So focused on himself type of Peter from the upper room, like I'm so good, I'm so superior, that Peter is gone. And I don't know if his eyes were down in humility or up in sincerity, but in this reply of Peter, we just have the the simple answer that comes from a man who's been feeling guilt but now is repentant and sorry for the sin and the hurt of the past and is hoping and praying that things are okay between him and his Lord. We hear humility in Peter's answer. We hear a man crushed by the weight of his guilt and hoping for that weight, that debt to be removed. And here's what Jesus says. He says, feed my lambs, which is kind of a weird answer in some ways. He doesn't come out with the words, you are forgiven, but let me tell you this. They are absolutely contained in that response. This is a statement of Jesus declaring that nothing has changed in his relationship with Peter since his denial, that there is forgiveness for Peter. You see, you know, before Peter's denial of Jesus, did you know that God had plans for Peter to be one of the primary leaders of the Christian church? And what Jesus is saying is that after his denial, after his big sin, do you know what God had plans for? For this sinner, Peter, to be one of the leaders of the early Christian church. And Jesus is saying, you're forgiven. I want you to be exactly what I created you and destined you to be. Go do what I've called you to do. Verse 16 and 17 are very similar. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Be who I called you to be. Verse 17, the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Why would Jesus do this so often? Is is he trying to make Peter squirm a little bit? Is he testing Peter? What I think, well, how many times did Peter deny Jesus? How many times did... Jesus have a chance to hear Peter's confession and then tell him that he's forgiven and that he has a purpose three times. And in this interaction, in this interaction, Peter, and I hope you today, see the love of a God and Savior who does not distance himself from you because of your sin, but instead, if he needs to, 
who have breakfast on the beach of the Sea of Galilee with you will pursue you because he wants to share his grace and his forgiveness with you. There is no sin that is bigger than God's grace. We talked earlier about how guilt feels like a weight because it creates a debt. So what happened? Does that debt just then go away? What happens to that debt? Because we still can feel that guilt. And here's where I think just a moment for a little bit of intellectual pursuit of what happened at the cross can be super, super helpful for the intellectuals among us. Here's here's what Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2. Here's the reality, that God forgave us all our sins. And I want to just stop there because I don't know what it is that has caused guilt in your life, but I want you to notice the word that Paul uses. He says, all. You mean the neglect that I perceive in my parenting when I was younger? Yep. You mean that those words that I said that time in anger or frustration? Yep. You mean what happened in my first marriage or what happened in my college years or what happened last week? Yes, yes, yes. All is not 50% or 75 or 99.9. Paul writes, God has forgiven all, 100%, everything has been paid for. And then here's what he says. What happened is that God has canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. That debt at one time stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away and has nailed it to the cross. Guilt feels like a weight because it creates a debt. And what Paul says in these words is that God has canceled the debt and that when you look at the cross from now on, not only do you see Jesus nailed there, your Savior, along with him, we also need to see whatever it is we're feeling guilt over, that your debt has been nailed to the cross with him. It's been paid for. And so number three of our fill-ins is true. Your debt was canceled at the cross. Whatever it is, your debt has been ripped up, has been gotten rid of. It was done away with on the cross through Jesus' death and through his resurrection. And so if that has been the case, I'm going to give you this gentle yet serious Encouragement. Put down the weight. And I know for some of you, depending on what it is you've struggled with, you might be pushing back internally. uh, If you only knew what I did, if you only knew what I said, if you only knew how long it went on, And what I'm telling you is that your debt was nailed with Christ on the cross. And whatever it is and however long it was, God has canceled it. 
He does not see it anymore. And if that is true, here's what else is true. You have lost the right to condemn yourself. And in fact, and this is not meant to bring more guilt onto your heart, I'm just trying to encourage you to get rid of the guilt, to break free from the guilt, that if we choose to not put it down but continue to carry it with us throughout our lives, what we're actually doing, my friends, is we're minimizing grace. Think of that. We're minimizing the work of Christ on the cross. Yes, Lord, I know what you did there, but I'm going to choose to still carry this around. Maybe today is the day. Maybe right now is that moment where we, for the very first time, have come to understand that the debt has been canceled and I don't need to live in guilt. Guilt can be at first, a good thing. God doesn't want us to just, you know, sin and not care. It can be an indicator that something needs to be amended or fixed. So guilt's not always bad, but carrying it around after we've heard and received Christ's forgiveness, that's what God does not want for you. He wants you to live new. So maybe this number four can kind of be maybe a a mantra that you remind yourself of around the idea of guilt. Your guilt may remind you it does not need to define you. We are not computers in which we can just go into our minds and delete things. That thing Whatever it was, it may pop up again. It will. But when it does, allow it to remind you, to remind you that sin is serious, to remind you that repentance is important, to remind you that that debt has been paid for on the cross. Allow it to remind you, but do not let it define you. You see, when Jesus pursued Peter, he wanted to remind him of what truly his identity was, that he was a child of God before his denial, and because of Christ's work on the cross, he's a child of God after, that God had great plans for him before his big sin, and that God still had plans for him after that sin. What defined him was God's grace and who God saw him to be because his debt was canceled and his sins were forgiven. Guilt is something that one sermon is not going to totally eradicate, but you have the tools, you have the knowledge, you have the understanding of what Christ has done so that when that ugly thing pops up like a smell in a cooler, that you can remind yourself of the truth and not let your past define you, but instead rejoice in how big and deep and far and wide is the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we, um, we thank you for your grace and, and love. And Lord, sometimes uh, we just need to, to hear it again and understand how, how final and ultimate and just 
overpowering your love is over our sin. We thank you for your forgiveness. And Lord, for those of us who struggle with guilt, just pray that your grace would help us to live in the newness of joy and peace that are ours through your son. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.